0: Alright, today's message is entitled, What Proof Do You Need? What proof do you need? I'm going to be in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then later on in chapter 2. We celebrate today, uh, probably some would say, the greatest day in history. But I was pondering that, and I thought, you know, there's probably some other great days as well. For instance, like the birth of Jesus. Uh, That's a great day, isn't it? I mean, he had to be born in order to die So uh, that was an amazing day, and certainly we do celebrate that, and we call that uh, Christmas. And and then I think about the life he lived. That's pretty important as well, isn't it? Because if he would have sinned at any time during his life, he would not have qualified to offer the perfect sacrifice on behalf of us. So I think that's pretty important every day that he lived, that he lived a sinless life so that, that we could be free. Of our sins. I think that's equally important as well. And then we get to the resurrection, and certainly it's uh, the fact that, that he faced death and, and uh, even separation from God and, and won. He came out victorious, and that's equally important in what we're celebrating this morning. And I think even beyond that, the fact that we in faith believe that he's alive today and carry the message forward in our generation. I think that's equally important as well. And so today, you know, we say this is the greatest day in history. Well, it is a great day, but there's others that I would, I would challenge and say that definitely they are equally important as well. So the message says, what proof do you need I was listening to a testimony of a missionary. We were, we were away at, our, at a conference of so the Dove Churches we're a part of, and, and uh, Dave was his name. He said that he, there, there was a call to board his plane, and he reached into his backpack and reached for his passport and plane ticket, and they weren't there. He was <laughs> like, oh, no, where did I leave him? So he began to think about where he was in the last couple of hours. He spent at the airport, and he, he ran to the drink stand, and they weren't there. He ran to the restaurant that he had eaten dinner and looked all around the table he was. It wasn't there. He ran to the bathroom. <laughs> he said it was pretty awkward looking under the stalls to see see if his papers were there and he didn't find them in any of those places. And then he looked over and he saw a phone, information phone. He said well perhaps somebody turned it in. So he picked up the phone, got somebody and they, they shuffled around and said yes we believe we have your passport and your plane ticket here. The only problem is he's in the outlier of the airport and the plane ticket and passport, were in the middle of the airport. So he took off running again, and he got there, and he said, I'm here to pick up my passport and, uh, and plane ticket, and they said, can we see some ID? <laughs> you have the ID, I don't. <laughs> oh, Dave knew who he was, but this world's kind of funny, isn't it? We have to verify who we are as if we don't know. And, uh, of course, everything worked out, and he made it on the plane, What proof do you need that Jesus is alive? The apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said that if Jesus had not raised from the dead, he lists four things there. He says, first of all, our message is useless. We have no message. We're we're just out for a walk because there's nothing there. There's nothing about the message if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. He goes on to say that our faith is futile. We're just believing in a lie. We're believing in a fear. We're believing in something that didn't happen if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. He also goes on to say that our hope is all gone. We have no hope because we're still in our sins because death wasn't conquered. And then he finishes up by saying, if that's the case, if Jesus had not raised from the dead, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, and live it up and die because there's nothing beyond. That's what Paul said, if if we believe that the resurrection hadn't happened and that Jesus is not alive. Let's jump in this morning here. Number one, Jesus revealed he was alive in body after his resurrection. i will read some verses here in, in uh, Acts chapter 1. Luke, the physician, writes to his friend Theophilus. He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 3, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So one of the goals that Jesus had after he rose from the dead is to show himself in bodily form to those that were wondering that he actually had risen from the dead, that he was alive. Amazing you would think that people that had followed you and been with you for three years would not believe or doubt that he could actually raise from the dead. I uh, had never done this before, but I went and actually went through the Scripture and discovered all the different times that Jesus showed himself to his apostles, to his followers, during the 40 days that he remained after raising from the dead. Here's what I found. Jesus revealed himself in bodily form five times on Sunday. The first day he rose from the dead, it wasn't a day of rest for him. (laughs) He was busy going around to places where people were gathering and actually coming into their midst and showing them that he was alive. He first of all did it to the women that came out to the tomb. Then also to Mary Magdalene. She was by herself and, she, and he visited her. Then to Peter, two guys on the road to Emmaus. When they got to their house, he revealed in bodily form that he was alive. And then the disciples on the Sunday evening, minus Thomas, he stepped in and said, I'm alive. I'm risen from the dead. And so he showed himself five times on the first day that he was alive. Then one time, eight days later, with the disciples, this time Thomas is present, Thomas said, unless I, unless I touch the Lord, I will not believe. And so Jesus, uh, again, uh, jumped into the room when the disciples were gathering and Thomas was there and he was able to touch Jesus' his body and he believed at that point on. Three times over the next few weeks, we had a time when seven disciples were fishing fishing, and Jesus showed up on the shore. He cooked breakfast and the guys came in from their fishing trip and he revealed that he was alive. He was the Lord. Another time, it it was recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says up to 500 people saw him alive. So it wasn't just a small group, isolated or even in secret. It was a lot of people that saw Jesus in bodily form after he had risen from the dead. And then it says that he appeared to James, which was his half-brother. That would be family. He appeared to James and said, I'm alive. One time at his ascension, right before he ascended into the clouds and went back to heaven... He was there, appeared in bodily form, instructed the disciples a little bit further down from where I started reading. And then he went through the clouds. So that was another time. The other interesting thing that I never thought about before is he appeared three times after he ascended into heaven i would never thought about that before. But actually, Stephen, when he was being stoned, this is recorded in the book of Acts, Stephen is being stoned, he's going to die. They're so furious that he is following Jesus. And Stephen says he looks up and he sees Jesus in heaven in bodily form. He said, there's Jesus standing up waiting for me and infuriated the crowd more and then they killed him. But Stephen saw Jesus after he ascended in bodily form. The Apostle Paul said, I was visited by Jesus in bodily form. I saw Jesus firsthand. He got revelation, but he also had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And then the Apostle John in Revelation as well. That great book of of the revelation of Jesus. John physically saw Jesus, and then he wrote down the, the things that were recorded in that vision. So 13 times, we see over the course of 40 days that Jesus revealed himself in bodily form to up and over 500 people. What proof do you need that Jesus is alive? Number two, after Jesus revealed himself, some doubted. This is kind of strange for us to think about, but as we wade into it, maybe you'll understand why. It says in Matthew 28, 16 to 17, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, and they saw him, and they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted. Even then, he's about ready to, to, to go to heaven, and some are still doubting, the scripture records. Why would they do that? Well, in the Old Testament, it was clearly and plainly written that the Messiah would come, would die and not decay and raise, uh, raise from the dead three days later. And so it's plainly written in the Old Testament that, uh, that Jesus would, would come or the Messiah would come and he would live among his people and he would die. In Mark chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10, Three chapters in a row, Jesus clearly spoke to his disciples and said, I am going to be handed over to sinful men. I am going to be crucified on a cross. And three days later, I am going to rise. So Jesus told his disciples plainly, how much more clear can you get? And yet the scripture says, if you read that in chapter 8, it said they didn't understand, so they changed the subject. Actually, that that, that, that was the second time. The first time, Peter rebuked Jesus. Peter jumps in, tries to correct God. He said, no, stop talking about that. There is no way that is going to happen to you. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we, we look for. And then the second time, they changed the subject. The third time, it again, just went over their head, and James and John uh, said, well, Jesus, how about when you get to heaven, let one of us sit on your right and one of us sit on your left. I mean, they just did not comprehend the fact of what was going to happen. And the same thing can happen to us is that we can, we can actually be educated through the world system that we can start believing that the miracle of God raising from the dead can actually be possible because of the education that we receive that is only based on science or based on experience and not based on God's word or the witnesses that saw him after he rose from the dead. The same can happen to us. In fact, we can get into denominational uh, theology that that we brought up under this denominational view, and even though there's other things written in the Scripture, we only see this very narrow way of interpreting Scriptures, and therefore we dismiss what else is in the Bible because we are limited to the denominational view that we grew up in. It can happen to us. Even the culture that we grow up in. Some cultures are, it's only what you see that you can believe. You can't have faith. It's only what you see. Other cultures have uh, this idea that, that, uh, that God's in everything, and they, they have some level of faith that when they move over into Christianity, it's easy for them, while other people, when it's based on empirical evidence or sight or science, they have a tough time believing in miracles that God could actually raise from the dead. And so the same thing can happen to us. What's the difference between doubt and unbelief? When you doubt, what I've discovered is that when you, when you doubt something, and it says that they doubted here in Matthew, that really it means that you're unsure about something or you're, you're hesitant to believe something. That's really what doubt means. Like the door is closing, that would be doubt. The door is closing, but it hasn't latched yet. Uh, when the door latched, that would be unbelief unbelief is what I would call an act of your will. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I touch him. That was an act of his will. Thomas wasn't in doubt. Thomas was in unbelief. And then obviously when he touched Jesus and Jesus came into his midst, his his unbelief was shattered and he believed. And so the disciples were kind of in this place of doubt and unbelief and they were... Uh, they were trying to to kind of walk out of it. Now, this is an interesting fact, and that is the enemies of Jesus believed more than his followers did. (laughs) That's like, wow, what? And now, obviously, initially, they got over it and they believed, but initially, the enemies believed that Jesus was raised from the dead and his disciples didn't. I mean, let's just read it for you out of Matthew 27, 62 through 65. It says, the next day... One of the fair, uh, on the preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure with, uh, until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people we, he's been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. Uh, take, take, take guard, uh, Pilate said, and go make the tomb secure as you know how. So the enemies of Jesus, the ones that killed him, actually believed he's probably going to raise from the dead. And the followers were skeptical, kind of ironic. Why was it so hard for them to believe? They had really been schooled that um, the Messiah, when he would come, he would free them politically. But Jesus came to free us spiritually. That was the reason of his first coming. The second coming, he will free us from the kingdoms of this world. But the first coming, his intent and purpose was to free us spiritually so that we could be back into oneness with God. And they missed it along the way. They were looking for a political king to come and rule them uh, or, or, or rescue them from the tyranny of Rome. And so, in a sense, they missed it in that way, that they were looking for someone that was not. The other thing that they were kind of schooled in is that when the Messiah would come, that they would kind of grow old together, and they would die at the end and go into glory. And so when he died at 33, it was startling. It was like, wow, this is too young, this is too, too premature, this can't be the Messiah. And so they began to question again because they were schooled in a certain way in Judaism and how they read the scripture. Like I mentioned, we can be schooled through secular education or through a denominational view or even our own culture or upbringing, that we can be schooled that way rather than see the whole of scripture. And so that's why they struggled in that way. I met a couple this week from out of town, they called and made an appointment and and uh, they, were, they were sharing with me just their life journey, and they had been involved in a lot of freedom ministries, freedom in Christ, and deliverance, and they'd gone around and read a lot of books and met with a lot of people and did a lot of programs, and they still had a couple of questions of some areas that re- kept reoccurring in their life, and they kept wondering why. So I asked questions, and I listened, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit gave me some insight, and I shared that insight, and they went, wow! Wow! We've never heard that before anywhere we've gone. I'm like, well, I'm nobody special. I'm just listening, just another vessel that, that the Holy Spirit, you know, spoke through. I'm not, not anything great. And they're like, but we've never heard this anywhere else. This makes sense. And then the, the, the fellow went on to say, it was kind of interesting, he said, everywhere we went, whatever program we were in, the people would say, now this is the only way to do it. This is the only way to get free. This is the only way to get delivered. Our way is the only way. And I laughed at that. I said, listen, deliverance methods are like diets. <laughs> there's there's all, all kinds of diets out there because we've got all different kinds of bodies and people and not, uh, there's not one diet that fits all, right? In the same way with deliverance. There's not one deliverance that fits all. Everybody has a part of the truth and we're all learning from one another. But there is one commonality in deliverance, and there's one commonality in diets. In diets, it's going to involve food. (laughs) Whether you eat the right or you eat the wrong, or you stop eating or you eat more. One of the two. It's going to involve food if you're in a diet. In deliverance, it's going to involve Jesus. Whatever one it is, it's going to involve Jesus. If it doesn't involve Jesus, you're going to be in more bondage rather than set free. But it's just fascinating that, that his experience was that, that what he was presented the people was like, this is the way. And perhaps that's what the disciples were dealing with when they doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. Number three, what proof do you need to settle that Jesus is alive? What proof do you need? Peter is preaching in Acts 2, and uh, he preached a message to the people that had come to listen that day after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 36, he said, Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and all the other apostles, Brothers, what must we do? They were ready to take action. And that captivates me of what was said that when they, Peter finished or got to a certain point in his message, they were like engaged. They were ready to take action. They were ready to receive uh, Jesus and understood that he was alive and wanted a relationship with him. What are the things that Peter said that made a difference in their life? In order to settle the proof that he is alive, there's four things that I've picked out that, that need to, we need to look at. First of all, an eyewitness verification. Somebody that was there and saw him when he was crucified and somebody that saw him when he was alive. So we need an eyewitness verification. And I just went through 13 times over 500 people saw him. And verse 23 of chapter 2, Acts says, This man was handled over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and with you the help of wicked men, Put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Then verse 32 says this, God has raised Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of this fact. So Peter is saying, I, I, I'm a witness of the fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead and he's alive today. So there you have, you have you have an eyewitness verification. Next thing is to prove that Jesus is alive is a written word confirmation. Written word confirmation. And we see that in Peter's explanation to the people, he quoted King David, which they all respected. And he writes in verse 25 there of chapter 2 of Acts, he says, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. And you will fill me with joy in your presence. They're quoting Psalms as David had a picture of Jesus being raised from the dead out of Psalms. And so there was a written word confirmation that the Messiah that was going to come would die on a cross and raise from the dead and not see decay. The third thing, a verification of proof that he's alive is different sources, yet same message. Different sources, same message. And so as I unfolded, there are all the different times that Jesus revealed himself. He revealed himself to the women. He revealed himself to, to guys walking home. He revealed himself to the disciples. He revealed himself to his, his half-brother. He revealed himself to the general public of the 500. He revealed himself in all of those 13 different ways, and yet all said the same thing. He's alive. He's risen from the dead. Again, that's the proof that he is alive today. And then the last thing is probably what I would say the the most, maybe the most dramatic thing, and that is a transformed life. When Jesus comes in to people that recognize their life is a mess, that have tried to run it themselves or maybe let other people run it for them and it absolutely is ending up in a train wreck and they hear about Jesus and they invite him in or maybe they heard about him as a child and just kind of pushed him away in life and yet they come to a place to realize I can't go on unless I have somebody with greater ability than me run my life and not any human being but God himself. And as a result of that, they yield and surrender their life to the lordship of Jesus. And he comes in that person's life and begins to live. And their life is totally transformed to everybody around them. That's the most amazing thing and amazing proof that Jesus is alive in my book. And I've seen it happen time and time again. What is knowing Jesus alive? What does that actually mean? mean or how do I know that I go back to a a hymn that I grew up with it goes like this he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow road he lives he lives salvation to impart you ask me how I know he lives he lives within my heart that's how I know he lives he lives within my heart yes bodily he's in heaven interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. But yet spiritually, he is living in my heart and your heart that have invited him in. He is alive and he's living in our life today in our heart. We understand that and recognize that that is what Jesus is doing by the Spirit of God. And it's so amazing when that realization happens that we're not alone anymore. The Bible says that he's present in in. Times of trouble in my life. Are you in trouble? God is present. If he's not within you, he's very much around you and wants to help out. He says that he will never leave me. When I invite him in, I can kick Jesus out, but Jesus will never kick me out. That's the difference. I can choose to not believe out of an act of my will, and I can choose to change my will and invite Jesus in. I can choose to doubt for a period of time. In fact, if you, if you doubt long enough, you'll probably end up in unbelief. James says that when you doubt, you actually are double-minded. You're hesitant to believe. And so even when the truth comes along, you still ask so many questions that you never allow the truth to settle in your heart and you're wavering back and forth. He describes that as a ship being tossed to and fro by the wind in waves. Double-mindedness. James says lock in, decide what is truth, and then live it. Knowing Jesus is alive... I recognize that he will guide me into truth. Truth that I haven't known yet, just like sitting with that couple this week. I didn't know them from Adam, so to speak, or Eve. And yet, as I listened, there was something that God showed me that helped them, that encouraged them. And so the same way he wants to use any of us. He says that he would teach us in ways that we haven't learned yet. He says that he would remind us of things that we've forgotten. Man, what a great help. To know that Jesus is alive. That we can have fellowship with him. Because he is alive. He's not dead. Some say, you know, my life is going pretty good. I'm not sure I really need to surrender to this Jesus you're talking about. My life is okay. It's it's going well. I, I don't really have anything but any need in my life. Well, let me ask you one question. And this is the core of why we need Jesus. And that is this. Can you say with an honest opinion in your conscience that every decision you make is right? That you know exactly how to help every person. You know exactly what they need. Can you say without a shadow of a doubt that you make the right decisions for your future and they always turn out the way you expected? You see, that's the core of a reality of why we need Jesus. Is that we're not perfect, and we can't be perfect on our own. There's absolutely no way for us to be perfect 100% of the time, 24-7, it's impossible. And if you said yes to that question, you're lying and you're full of pride. Because the reality is... We have a flaw in our life, and that's why we need Jesus. The beautiful thing is that he was the perfect sacrifice, and he died on behalf of me and you and the whole world. And he also said that he didn't, dipping into last week's message, he didn't die for me, he died as me, so that everything that I experienced, he experienced, and he won. He got the victory so that I can get the victory as well. And that's the reality of what Jesus did is he died for me and he died as me. Therefore, I can receive the victory that he has for me. There's no way that I can be good enough to add up to 100% all the time in my life. But Jesus did. And he said, by faith, you can have this life. You can have this life now. And you, even though we're still in process, God the Father looks at what Jesus did on my behalf and your behalf. He doesn't look at us. He sees Jesus right in the center, right in the middle. Our grid, our screen door, our door that God the Father looks through and he sees perfection here and he sees a person growing on the other side. What a beautiful thing. And he's alive to help us walk towards being more like Jesus. Not there yet but walk towards being more like Jesus. And he's alive today helping us do that. Number four, what are, uh, if we checked all the proof boxes, okay, they're, they're checked. We still need faith. Faith is still required. Jesus uh, told Thomas, he said, you believe because you have seen me. And then he looked at him and said, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet still believe. That's us. We believe equally. You see, faith, when you believe with faith, that's actually as equal to seeing Jesus in the flesh. It's just as secure when you are in faith to believe that he's alive as if you would have seen him in body. Some of us said, no, no, that can't be true. Well, there were those that saw him in body yet doubted. <laughs> That's proof, Scripture says. They saw him and yet doubted. But we in faith can be just as sure and just as secure that he's alive today because of the things that I've listed here that have been recorded for our encouragement. The Christian faith is a matter of faith. It is a fact of faith. It is needed. There are. Um, and, and the Apostle Paul says this. He says that those who are perishing... In other words, those who haven't believed yet think we're foolish. But he said those of us that do believe, it is the power of God for salvation. And so faith is the key for us to believe that Jesus is alive. The fact that Jesus is alive today is based on 13 sightings of over 500 people that verified that he was alive. He didn't just come out of the tomb and not show himself. No, he made himself clear five times on Sunday. The rest of the time uh, added up. And even after he ascended into heaven, Jesus came back and, and made it clear that he was alive. Stephen saw him, Paul saw him, and John saw him. And based on the witness and the evidence that is written down, and also the fact that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, something happens within us. Something happened within me the day I surrendered my life to Jesus. I was not the same anymore. And there's been different times through my life that I had to surrender more. It wasn't like I had to re-surrender. I had to surrender more. And as a result of that, Jesus became more alive in my life the more that I surrendered. This is a process of me growing in God. Many people saw Jesus firsthand, but it took a, a miracle for God to raise him from the dead. And then after Jesus ascended into heaven, we see Peter and John and the apostles start preaching about who Jesus was and that he was calling those in the world to follow him. And as we, they could have easily, they could have easily just taken the glory for themselves. I mean, their leader was gone. They could have stepped in and said, I did that, I did that miracle, I did that. But they didn't do that. No, they always, even after Jesus ascended, they said, it's him that's alive. And it's his power that is coming to earth that is doing what is happening. Let me just read one example. And that is in chapter 4 of Acts, there was a man that was crippled for over 40 years. And when he is healed, Peter says this. And know this, this is chapter 4, verse 10. And know this you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man now stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected that has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else where there is no other name in heaven, uh, on, uh, under heaven which men can be saved except the name of Jesus. Amen. Wow, there it is. That transformed life is because the power of Jesus was at work and he's alive. He's alive. So how much proof do you need? Are you convinced? I know that people go through periods of doubt. Maybe going through periods of unbelief. Is it really possible that he's alive today? Again, we all have to go through that process. And sometimes you can't hurry others through that you have to give time you have to give patience you have to give prayer you have to have a conversation there's a lot of aspects that come in to people settling the fact that he's alive and he wants to be my lord and that's just a process that all of us go through so you may find yourself here this morning in some kind of a doubt some aspect about whether or not jesus is able to to take care of maybe something that's on your forefront Is he able to to really change that? Is he able to change me? Is he able to change the circumstances? You have some doubt about that. Again, we all go through that. The disciples that walked with them went through that. It's not bad. The question is, how long do we stay in doubt until we believe? Scripture says, if you seek me, you will find me. I believe that if you're in doubt, if you would begin to lay aside the doubt and begin to, to seek the Lord... Seek the evidence. Read the scripture. There's been many people that have, have read this book to try to discredit it. And they've ended up becoming believers. There was a guy I knew that two Mormon missionaries witnessed to him. And he set out. He was an atheist. And he set out to prove them wrong. And he became a Christian. Incredible man of Jesus. So God can use anything and anyone to get us started. <laughs> But the finishing place is he wants us to know that he's alive. He's alive in heaven and alive in my heart and alive in your heart. Doubting is a normal process. We can get to the place of unbelief at times. But even Thomas who engaged his will to say I will not believe. And then when he saw Jesus his unbelief was unlocked. And he became a a riveted uh, just amazing follower of Jesus Thomas actually went up into India and spread the gospel so God took these men and women and transformed their life even though they doubted even though they were in unbelief for a period of time and he brought the proof necessary in order for them to believe that he was alive let's pray Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to celebrate today on this Resurrection Sunday the fact that you indeed are alive. And I pray, God, that as we search our own hearts, maybe there's an area in our own life that we are doubting whether or not, Jesus, you can help us in that, that area or that situation. That we're doubting whether or not you could change someone's heart, or doubting whether or not you could change us as an individual. Lord, I pray if there's someone here in unbelief today that they would again realize that eventually it's going to crash. And oftentimes when we crash as an individual, we take others around us down. God, I pray not just for our own sake, but for others' sake. Our family our friends maybe even our marriage that we would realize God I need to give you a chance or another chance Jesus you're so forgiving you are such a forgiving God we could we could get in your face one minute and repent the next and you wouldn't hold that we were in your face the last minute you would say come I receive you such a forgiving God Wow how in one moment we can be opposed to you like the Apostle Paul in the next moment we can be down on our face calling you Lord and you didn't hold the previous against us you welcomed us in what an amazing God you are maybe you're here this morning and you say you know I I have some doubt in my heart about whether Jesus is alive maybe some unbelief I want to pray for you if you're in that, that condition that place I invite you just to pop up your hand and say, hey, this is me. I'm, I'm at a place of doubt. I'm at a place of, of, of wondering whether Jesus is alive that can really help me now. Okay? Anybody else? Maybe you're here and you say, I really need to surrender to Jesus this morning. I need to make him Lord. I've tried everything else. I want to try Jesus. Somebody here this morning? Again, just stretch up your hand for, not for me to see, really, but for Jesus to see. He knows what's in your heart. Somebody need to yield to the Lordship of Jesus. Amen. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Well, Father, I thank you that you're working in our hearts. And as we sang today and celebrated and looked into your scripture that you indeed are alive, let us never forget that. Whatever life brings our way. To know that you are alive. That you're with us. That you help us. That you'll educate us. That you'll teach us. That you'll bring us through because you have the victory. You won it yourself. And you said here take my victory. And make it yours. Thank you God. For being such an amazing God. We stand in awe. That you would call our name that you would love us that you would forgive us and set us on a different course in life than what we were on before thank you God for your forgiveness and your freedom thank you Jesus for obeying your father for us that we might be forgiven and be set free we pray these things in Jesus name, amen Amen. Caress with you.